Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark, I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. We're here this week for our regular book review slot and I'm here with Amanda Robbie as always. Amanda, uh, tell us what we are reading this month. This month we are reading Glorify God in Your Body by Martin Davey. The subtitle is Human Identity and Flourishing in Marriage, Singleness and Friendship. Now, Amanda, I believe you were involved in the the sort of production of this book. Could you tell us what it is and where it's come from? My name name is at the end of the foreword. Yes, um, I am part of the working group for the Church of England Evangelical Council, CEEC. Okay, and and what is CEEC? So CEEC was established by John Stott uh, to bring together evangelicals from the ch- in the Church of England uh, as a body to discuss, grow, flourish. Um, <clears throat> and it particularly draws people from diocesan evangelical fellowships and evangelical bodies such as mission agencies and other um, Right, so entities. for example, Lee is on CEC as Director of Church, Church Society, Society yeah. and so on. So there's sort of representatives from evangelical groups, but then people like you who are on there as sort of lay members from diocese. I'm a, a diocesan I'm a, Well, I'm a, I'm a Canterbury rep because they have... So they, yeah. it's constituted a, to try and draw in as broader... And so there's maybe, what, 25, 30 people, something like that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, about maybe. that, maybe slightly more. They often, there's often invited people. So they have... It's only once a year we meet as a whole body, um, and that is quite a wide, wide group. And so people. this has come out of a CEC working group... Just explain that. So, so what happens what at the happens? annual meeting? Um, a decision is made of things we want to get forward. We do. We have a retained theological consultant, Martin Davy, who has done various parts of um, strategic theological work, which we think needs to be done for the sake of the Church of England. Um, and so, this this book has come out of that, and working group have sort of driven it and overseen it as Martin has written it. Um, and and as sort of responsible for its production. And um, why was this something that CEC decided to to commission him to to work on? Yes, I well, I guess everyone uh, listening was probably aware that um, there has been many uh, many debates on sexuality and human flourishing in the Church of England at the moment, and these things have been coming up in synods, diocese, and general, and so on. And I think the idea really was to to um, offer a an evangelical perspective, but particularly for the, uh, the the work that is going to the 2020 General Synod, Living in Love and Faith, which is a sort of working party to produce a suite of resources. And so this was our contribution to that uh, process. Right. OK, so there's a particular sort of uh, time dependent sort of we want to get this out so that people... Uh, can have it to contribute to part of that process, uh, but it is wider than than that as well. Yeah, and I think absolutely. that's one of the things I really appreciated reading the book. Um, it is really a book of Christian ethics, isn't it? There's a, a sort of um, introductory couple of chapters, sort of laying out the foundation for ethics and particularly ethics in this area, and then sort of establishing um, Christian approaches uh, to these kind of things, sex and marriage and singleness and so on. And then some, a look at the sort of challenges. So it's not just a, here's a book about the specific issues yeah. of sexuality and same-sex marriage, The, the thing example. in particular, as you read through it, it is about our bodies mm. and Christians as embodied creatures um, and from which are, we derive our sexual ethics, that, that sort of overarching framework. And it, it was, yeah, I really um, enjoyed actually sort of reflecting on my body and... 
you know, the bodies of those I know, you know, how, how our bodies affect us as Christians. Yeah, I think how a, we are to live in them. A, a sort of criticism that's often levelled at particularly evangelicals is the, the sort of why are you always so hung up on sex and, and what people do with their bodies and, you know, between consenting adults in the privacy of their bedroom, you know, surely it's just up to them. And why get so caught up on sex and not focus on issues of salvation? And I think this book is a really good answer to that, isn't it? It does matter to God what we do with our bodies, um, because actually that is part of how we live out uh, our obedience to him and our salvation. Um, and also just in the last chapter, I don't know if you noticed this, it's sort of, um, you know, how do we live this out in a way that makes the world look and say, yeah, actually, I want that. The world is really messed up yeah. and often quite consciously knows that it is messed up in the area of sex and relationships and uh, these kind of things. Um, yes, to, to live well in your body is a witness in itself, mm. to be comfortable with your body, to, to not be seeking for your body to be something that it's not or to, to yeah, it um, because the body is a, is something we are given and, and should be honoured. So the book opens with quite an interesting question. Mm. Should I make love to a sex robot? I mean, I have to say, that's <clears throat> not a question I have spent a lot of time considering. No, in, in fact, I asked my bishop this question the <laughs> other day in passing, and I don't think he'd considered it either. No, and yet... I mean, it's, it's quite shocking, isn't it, when you get to the chapter later on in the book where he's talking about the girl um, who, who is, you know, considering getting involved in the development of this kind of thing and, and genuinely seems to think that this is a better alternative than a boyfriend. A demanding boyfriend. In yes, particular. exactly. <laughs> but but I, thought it, I thought that that question actually does play into the, 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 the tendency of our, our society. He talks about the ice, I I people, doesn't yes. it? The I world, that that tendency, increasing trajectory towards individualism, to be shut in our homes, to mm. to have a, a a four pack of tinnies at home rather than to go to the pub to yeah. uh, to be. Oh, I was talking with this with your husband yesterday about bowling alone, and um, how in America, you know, bowling used to be this great social activity, and people were in leagues, and you know, you'd spend your whole night there, and you get all your kind of drinks and popcorn and all that sort of stuff and you have six people on a lay and now bowling alleys are closing all over the place because what they're finding is people just come on their own and they don't buy all the other stuff and there'll be one person in a lane and they can't um sustain their business model on that and it, it's exactly that people yeah so so this is and, and the sex robot is 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 part of that it's, it's mm. it feels like company but it makes no demands on you whatsoever and i think there's a there's a really fundamental thing there isn't there that the, the question people ask about a relationship is what's in it for me yeah. is this doing me good do I feel better is this what I want and if it's not then then cut up and there's no consideration for anything beyond my individual yeah. and, and Martin's and argument in this is that that is not God's purpose for relationships and God's purpose for people and their bodies yeah God's purpose is for people and their bodies to do the hard work of making good yeah. relationships. So in this first section, as I say, he, he sort of outlines a Christian approach to these issues, mm -hmm. uh, particularly of sex and marriage and singleness. And I think, uh, you know, it's very clear, it's very well argued, very well laid out. Um, so it'd be a great thing to read through if there's something that you think, I've never really understood why Christians think this. 
Um, but, you know, he, he asks what it is to be human. He asks, how can I act morally? How can I know what God wants? Those sort of big questions. Yes, but then also moving on to actually what is sex? Um, yeah. You know, what is marriage? Um, I particularly like that there is a chapter on the world to come and just thinking through, you know, we know Jesus says there will be neither marriage nor giving in marriage in the new creation. So actually, what does that mean for us as sex? beings um yes and that was i thought really fascinating that's an exploration of how we can still be sexual beings completely fulfilled without engaging in sexual intercourse yes the the the, um that he quotes jerome doesn't he about Mm, um the angels uh, when jesus talks about there's no marriage in heaven and we'll be like angels and jerome says what the lord promises to us is not the nature of angels so not sex but their mode of life and their bliss, and I yeah. think was a beautiful um, explanation of that of bliss. What it is we're looking forward to that bliss, and and he sort of in, uh, embeds that more in the the understanding of the true marriage between Christ and His Church, and so on, and the, and the fulfilment of that. Um, so even in this section, where you know there wasn't a lot that was completely new to me, but there were still some really interesting things with that. Um, Amanda, you had a thing, the chapter on marriage. So you're married and, and I'm not. But I think even though there were some things that you found interesting yeah. and helpful to yes, think uh, in a different way. Uh, I guess it's always good to have a refresher because um, uh, you know, I did some marriage prep and thought about marriage a while ago, but it's been what, a few years since I think I've done much <laughs> thinking. Um, particularly, he talks about marriage as spiritual warfare. Yeah, Christian marriage is a, is a form of the spiritual warfare described in Ephesians 6. And um, <clears throat> yeah, there's some there's some really good thoughts that actually it is a fight to be married and to stay married yes. and to to keep that that relationship. And going. The, there's a real challenge there, isn't there, to a contemporary view of marriage, where you know we, we, you hear people say regularly, "I just don't love him anymore," or "I'm not in love with him anymore." And and he talks really helpfully about how that sort of eros, that romantic love is never intended to be sort of sustainable over your whole life. That yes, you don't yes. have those same feelings yeah. when you first meet someone it's completely overwhelming and exciting and yeah. whatever. You know, that's not what lasts a lifetime and, and actually developing that into the sort of long term steadfast kind of love. Um, and how yeah, our society just doesn't seem to have any sense of, of needing to do that anymore. Um so some really interesting things to that. But I guess uh, for many people, it will be the second part of the book where he discusses some of the challenges to the Christian view uh, of uh, bodies and, and relationships and sex that will be. Uh, do not most skip straight to the second section. No, Joe. I suspect some people, people will, will do. They'll be they'll be wanting. Oh, there's a section just on that issue. I will just read that issue. Don't because you miss out on the. You need to be reading with the thoughts of what what our bodies are for, and that that richer that sort of deeper theology yes. before you approach the ethics. And this is a problem often when we're talking about these issues is that we just jump in with the ethic without the undergirding theology. Yeah, really <clears throat> helpful. Um, I think that that is exactly right. You can't start your discussion of same-sex marriage, for example with a discussion of same-sex marriage you know it needs to be within that context of what is marriage what is sex what are our bodies what is God doing what are his ultimate goals and then begin to understand how we do that and I think that will be one of the things that I think will be interesting and I am concerned about in the general synod debates in recent general synod debates on sexuality there's been a real tendency 
to ignore the the kind of underlying theology and ethics and move straight to the issues Um, and so then you can't have a useful discussion because you're not you've not got a basis on which to to make those choices. You haven't choices. thought about what people are and what they're... What and what God actually yeah. wants. And, and so then you end up, um, yeah, all over this. Anyway, so we have in this section four chapters. One is on intersex and transgender. One is on sex outside marriage, um, which covers a really wide range of contexts for sex outside marriage, including same-sex sexual relationships but you know that is really just one section in one chapter of the book um, which again gives it helpfully that much wider context. One is on divorce and remarriage and one is on birth control and infertility treatment. So um, I guess the and one of the issues that is very current in the Church of England at the moment is the issue of transgender and so maybe we'll just talk about um, that chapter a little bit. So he is, I think, very helpfully clear in this as, as throughout the rest of the book uh, on the differences between sex and gender, on the differences between intersex and transgender, and they are very different things. Um, so sex uh, to do with uh, our bodies uh, as God made us, and intersex a very rare condition in which some people have physiological aspects of both male and female which might be to do with their genes or it might be to do with their genitalia or or whatever but there's some complication um of how their bodies are actually configured and he debunks um which i think others have previously done but he I rightly debunks this this statistic that's often repeated about 1.7 percent of the population being transgender being intersex being intersex sorry not transgender intersex but actually, the truth figure is not. It's about a thousandth of that. Yeah, not point not one eight percent. And I think you can find that information if you look if you listen to BBC Radio 4's more or less program on the same. So it is not. This is just a, yes. a figure which has gained currency because it's wrong. Yes, it's not Christians who've debunked no. that. Is it is statisticians of the Radio 4 variety. That is just a wrong statistic. Yeah. Um, actual intersex conditions really are rare it's not that they never exist but but they really are rare and I think the other thing that he points out with that that, that is helpful to remember is that even with those people with the, those kinds of conditions it is not that they are neither male or female it is that they somehow have aspects of both yeah. male and female so we can still I think see that although there is some disorderedness there and 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 some brokenness of how the the kind of creation pattern was established, it still fits within that sense of there are two genders. It's not a third different gender that they um, inhabit. So there's the issue of intersex, and then there's the issue of transgender. Transgender is a different thing. Gender is a different thing. And these are to do with how um, culture sort of presents maleness and femaleness and how people in their minds identify with maleness or femaleness and transgender would be somebody who in their mind identifies with a gender that is different from the one uh, embodied in their sex 
in various different yeah, ways. Well, there, I there think is, that's a, about right. And there he is, is a quite a lengthy of that. There's a of that exactly. which he describes. He has quite a lengthy explanation of, of the different ways that that might manifest. So maybe um, just dress, cross-dressing, but also you know, yeah. dressing as someone of the opposite sex, but also... Um, and the, the sort of um, condition that's associated with this is called gender dysphoria. So gender dysphoria, so body dysphoria is that kind of thing of my perception of what my body is, is different from my actual body. So yeah. people who have anorexia, for example, often have body dysphoria. They look in a mirror and they see something really different from what it is. And gender dysphoria, that same thing, you know, people's um, mental perception of what their gender is, is at odds with their physiological perception of that. And obviously, in recent years, this has become increasingly regularly treated by changing the body, the physiological body, to match the gender perception. And sometimes that's just with outward things of dress and, and name and so on, and sometimes with actual surgery. So the, I guess the question is, how is it best for Christians to love people who are intersex and people who are transgender? What is the best way for us to show God's love to people suffering with those uh, yeah. conditions. And I, th I do think that intersex and transgender are very different phenomenon. Intersex is, is, is a physiological condition. And um, I, I see online quite a few people who are intersex been quite cheesed off with being conflated with those who are transgender. People who are intersex will have struggles. Um, yes, yeah, so almost always they will be infertile, for example. Um Almost always they will have struggles uh, having sex in a, in a normal kind of way. Yeah. You know, I mean, it depends slightly how their intersex nature is, is configured. But what condition is, yeah. What their condition actually is. But, it, but there are a lot of things that will be very difficult for them to, yeah, to, to navigate in, in So we, we, we love them as, you know, if, if they're believers, they're, we love them as brothers and sisters. If they're not believers, we... We welcome them with the love of Christ. And same for those who are struggling with gender dysphoria or presenting as transgender in some way. Um, of course, we have, you know, anyone who, who the Lord brings us across are, are, are his creation and we, we're called to love them. I think the question is, what is the loving thing to do? And this is what Martin is um, dealing with, is what, it, what, do, what does God want? What is God's will for these for people who have um, difficulties in this area? Yes, absolutely. And... The loving thing must surely be to help people to live in accordance with um, the way God has made us and the way God has established um, is best for us. Mm. And so this is where we need to have read all the previous chapters that have established actually what is appropriate, what is best for us to live as male and female in the ways uh, that God has, has established. So... Here's a list of sort of conclusions uh, for this, and it sort of ends up with um, sex and gender are not the same thing. Reason and scripture tell us that people's sex is defined by their biology. And, you know, that's where there is the, the sort of very small group and, of intersex people where that's more complicated. Yeah, but that, and, and that issue is particularly also agreed with by, by many feminists who are yes. at the moment who are really... Uh, gender critical feminists who are who are pushing back against this. Yeah, it is very complicated. This the sort of transgender explosion. rise of transgender acceptance is not straightforward even in non Christian culture. No. Um, recent scripture tell us that there are two sexes, male and female, and that while a person's sexual identity can be denied, it can't be changed or eradicated. That is, I might say 
I'm not a woman, but actually I still am. And, and you will still you will still have, be prone to female diseases, for instance. Exactly. Um, and so then this is where I think it, it kind of hits the road. Reason and scripture tell us that the path of wisdom and godliness lies in accepting the truth of our sexual identity and living accordingly. That is saying, this might be really hard for me to accept, but the truth is I am a woman, or I am a man, whatever your body is, and so I'm going to live accordingly, even though there might be things, you know, in my head that are saying, no, it would be lovely if you did this, or it would be better if you did that. I'm going to do what is accordance with how God has made my body. And then finally, he points out that there is this growing body of evidence challenging the claim that changing one's sexual identity will be effective in providing lasting relief from the distress caused by gender dysphoria. That is, people who... Uh, live as transgender people increasingly are beginning to report that it hasn't worked and detransition yeah in in different kind of ways and actually therefore to treat this as a mental health issue rather than one that can be solved by physiological change uh, seems to be a much more loving thing to do and actually that that wisdom that we cannot change our physiology we cannot change our genetics we can change outward appearance but but Mm. um the long-term much concerned about long-term damage done to people by long-term hormone treatment all these things yeah so it is as I say a very live issue uh, just at the moment in the church and you may know that the house of bishops uh, just before Christmas published some guidance on welcoming transgender people into the church using uh, liturgy from a service that is known as the uh, reaffirmation of the affirmation of baptismal vows and so that's a service that you'd use Say, for example, if you were christened as a, as a child, but then spent your life uh, living not as a Christian, uh, and then later in life have come to know the Lord, and you want to make a, a public statement of that. You don't have to be baptised again because you've been baptised, but you want to say publicly, no, these baptism vows, which I've not been living in accordance with, I am now committing myself to. So it, it is a, a service that is normally used for somebody wanting to express uh, their genuine commitment and desire to live Uh, in love and obedience to Christ. It is not normally a service used when somebody changes their identity in some way. So, for example, if you get married, you'd normally, you know, you'd often change your name. You don't then reaffirm your baptism vows because you happen to have a different name at that point. Or if your identity changes in in some other way, um, I don't know, you you move to a different country and get different citizenship. You don't then reaffirm your baptismal vows as Going a different to witness person. protection and change your name. <laughs> exactly. You don't have to be re-baptized. So it's a strange service to want to to use for uh, just a, a change of identity anyway. Um, but I think it's particularly concerning to be using in this instance where what people are changing is not, in fact, their God-given sex, um, but actually choosing to live in a way that denies their God-given sex. So anyway, so that came out just before Christmas. If you are concerned about that, um, and I think there's a number of reasons to be concerned about it, I think the guidance is is not great, but I think what's even more worrying in some ways is it's come out without really any process of proper theological reflection and ethical no, reflection. Nobody has read this book before they No, and it, you know, and it's not even as if there isn't a great long process going on in the Church of England where they are in fact considering these issues at the moment. So um, it is a strange thing for them, I think, to have come out with this guidance at this time and in this way, and the guidance itself is not great. If you are concerned about that, 
there is a, a response asking the bishops to maybe uh, pull back from their guidance to make it part of that living in love and faith process mm. um, and so on. And you can sign that at response to hob.co.uk. I will put the link to that in the blog post that goes with this podcast. Um, you know, it's uh, you can sign that if you're a member of clergy, but you can also sign that if you're just an ordinary layperson in your church. Um, it's really important, I think, that the bishops see that people in churches up and down the country actually are very concerned about that guidance. As of recording, 2,600 people, had, more than 2,600 people had already signed. Yeah, so you won't be on your own, but it, I think there are more than 2,500 people in the country who probably could sign that, and I'd love to encourage you if you think you could sign that to do that. Okay, well, let's move on. The other, I guess, pressing issue in the Church of England uh, at the moment is around same-sex marriage, and this is really what that living in love and faith process has been designed to consider, is whether the Church of England uh, could or should change uh, its policy. So at the moment, if you're a Church of England minister, you are not permitted to marry people of the same sex. You are not allowed to do that. And the there, there is pressure from uh, some people in the church to, to change that so that we could either bless same-sex marriages or even perform same-sex marriages. Um, Amanda, how does uh, this book help us to um, see what the issues are in that question? Yeah, I guess, I mean, he's, uh, he speak, uh, he, the chapter is, chapter 8, on sex outside marriage. And um, it talks particularly about sort of uh, what sex inside marriage should be in terms of faithfulness um, and, uh, and and uh, particularly that unfaithfulness sort of fornication um, impurity licentiousness are not permitted um, and then he goes on uh, talking about what sexual that sexual immorality is often how it's translated mm. uh, would be and, and contrasting that with chastity and 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 then talks about all all the things which are not which are chaste. not bad. Yeah, yes, and, all kinds of things. Some things I'd never even heard of. I mean, that's always the way. Yes. That there's always more sin than, than you've even imagined possible. Sexual surrogacy. Yes, that, that was the one that, yeah. that I'd never really come across before. There we go. Um, yeah, and uh, he talks about cohabitation and then same-sex sexual relationships. And sometimes a, a criticism is, why don't why don't evangelicals talk about cohabitation? Uh, but I think I think evangelicals do and he certainly mm. does in this about I think um, that's right I mean I think there's there is a slight difference isn't there in terms of when somebody becomes a Christian mm. if they are cohabiting what the appropriate way is to restore that and for them that may be actually not to end the relationship but to, to, to marry, marry. Yeah. whereas if it's a same-sex relationship that's not the appropriate way to to set things right in that situation so there may be instances of sort of temporary anomalies yeah. in a congregation but that's not quite the same thing as saying that one is fine and one is not yeah I think I think the thing that I uh, thought was really good in this um, chapter actually was the emphasis on friendship and how mm. um, re- that reminder that our society has sort of driven to invest every person's sort of fulfillment in a romantic relationship and and how untrue that is and mm-hmm. um yeah not godly actually. and again that comes out of the earlier chapter where he really unpacks that how we can be fulfilled and satisfied as sexual people without being in a sexual relationship yeah. and i think that i think you're right that undergirds a lot of what he then has to say about people who are not married uh, in all kinds of ways but particularly for people 
who feel same sex attraction and he talks about um the possibility and he you know has testimony from people who um are primarily same sex attracted but are married to somebody of the opposite sex and that has been um fruitful and loving and and wonderful but that is not the case for everybody and you know that that is um he also has testimony of the the value of singleness for somebody who's so attracted and and those things are good and positive things and it is a call to the church really to friendship in the congregation but mm. for brothers and sisters to be brothers and sisters so that the single that single mm. people are not felt excluded or yeah. left out of activities and one thing he particularly talks about actually is the need for physical contact mm. And, you know, if you're a single person, you don't always have somebody to give you a hug at the end of the day, for example. Um, And I think, you know, we are sometimes a little bit too cautious um, of giving physical contact because we fear what it might lead to in in terms of inappropriate uh, situations. But not all contact is sexual. And and there is contact that is very important for people to experience. Um, and our churches should be a place where that can happen. Yeah, where people hug hug one another and 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 are with each other, hang out together. Yeah. As 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 a family. So. Mm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think we need to to move on and finish. Really, mm-hmm. we, so we won't talk about uh, birth control and infertility and divorce and remarriage, but there are also interesting things in those chapters. Yeah, and I I think <laughs> to say there will be things that will spark our conversation and we may not agree with everything and that's the thing to wrestle with those things and go back to scripture ourselves yes very helpful i think um i i was going to mention that particularly around the area of remarriage we just had a blog post uh last week on why it's impossible to write a good church policy on remarriage and and it is very difficult it's a very complicated complex situation people have different views on that on when that's okay and when that's not okay um I think it's an interesting question of uh, why some some of these issues, there seems to be a little bit more leeway than others. And I think part of that is to do with how clearly scripture speaks on an issue. So, you know, scripture does clearly speak about divorce and remarriage, but the precise situations in, and ways in which that's applied, you know, it, there is more interpretation that has happened and therefore slightly less confidence. Anyway, I just wanted to, as we finish, think about uh, what our hopes would be for this book. Who do we hope will read it? I think um, everyone who signs the response to the House Bishop's uh, letter should do it. I think um, clergy clergy should read it. Perhaps, um, yeah, um, laity, church wardens, PCCs, um, depending on your sort of, theological levels really is not it's not a sort of super easy book to read no, I think it's got more footnotes than any book we've read in the podcast yes. reviews so I think that's right not everybody will be feel that this is the best use of their time to, to wade through all of it it's not the hardest book in the world it is very clear I think and I think it could be a good reference book for people wanting to understand specific things I, I agree. I think all clergy should read it. I think anybody who's involved in uh, General Synod or Diocesan Synod should read it as a sort of foundational uh, document as those debates uh, start to ramp up. Um, I guess even if not everybody in our churches read it, I think it would be important for people to be te- taught about this yes. in their churches. And, and particularly, again, the, the foundational issues about who we are as human beings and um, what that means in our, our how our ethics should then play out 
to, to that framework that then allows you to understand the framework for the specific issues that we're facing at the moment. Exactly, because lots of people in our churches will be facing these in non-theoretical ways. Yes. You know, there will be people who are divorced or who are in difficult marriages. There will be people who are same-sex attracted. There may be people with gender dysphoria. There will certainly be people struggling with fertility issues. And so your churches need equipping. People in your churches need equipping to deal with these issues in their own lives. Yeah, and I think that the sort of uh, sometimes uh, people's cultural hostility to something, to a divorce, say, um, then as as divorce becomes more common, people and all people in their family become divorced, they haven't got a theological framework. So we've assumed that people are theologically um, attuned to a, 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 a stance that evangelicals would take, but actually it's just a cultural stance yeah. about something. And I think we've seen that particularly with the same-sex relationships issue. So people haven't thought about the theology. Yes, I think that's right. And so lots of people who we might have thought were sort of fully signed up um, Bible-believing Christians have ended up thinking something quite different from the Bible on this because they, they've been more swayed by what they hear from the world around them than actual um, theological reflection on the scriptures so uh, that is glorify god in your body by martin davy people can find this uh, free to download from the cec website and you can also purchase the print copy from the latimer trust and i will put links uh, to both of those uh, along with the link uh, to the response to the house of bishops on the blog post and i really would uh, commend those uh, to all of you to really think through uh, and consider how you might uh, need to take action uh, on these issues. Great. Thanks for uh, joining us on the podcast, as always, Amanda. Yes. And um, I don't know what we will be talking about next we, time. Are we not talking about the Jackie Hill? Are we going to do that one next? Perry book. Okay. I think so, yes, we okay, so next time we are going to be reading Jackie Hill Perry's Gay Girl Gone Good. So more of the same issue, but in a very different kind of book. Yeah, it looks a lot a lot, a lot more of an easy read. Well, it's a, it's a, uh, it's sort of bio, biographical. So uh, do join us. Uh, for that next month. Thanks so much for listening.